pray together. Gracious and loving Father in heaven. What a blessing it is that we have experienced thus far in this week. And Lord, we count it a privilege and a blessing that on this Wednesday night August the 8th of the year 2001 of our Lord that we can gather here in the quietness and stillness of the sanctuary and consider thy word and we ask of thee God tonight that we might find the grace to hear the voice of God. For we do pray and ask these favors in the precious and wonderful name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We have now spent three days trying to define what grace is. I'm not sure if we were to spend three months or three years, we would ever be able to adequately describe truly what the grace of God is. And perhaps that is by design. For it appears to me, at least, that if we are able to experience and see evidence of the grace of God in our lives and in the lives of others, that at least for this moment in time, that is sufficient. Last night, as we were very accurately reminded, and in light of the scriptures that were shared with us, that In essence, if I can recall Brother Dushko's uh, exact words, it was something to the effect that we are less than a speck of dust. And certainly when we consider, as, as Brother Dushko painted such an incredible picture for us last night, a masterpiece, and we would say amen to that. But you know what? As true as that is, and as true of the fact that we are less than a speck of dust, each and every one of us is special in the sight of God Almighty. And because of that, 
God, in his infinite wisdom, has made a way and has throughout the ages had a desire to have communion and fellowship with his creation of mankind. And Brother Dushko talked about that and how that communion, how that fellowship was severed because of sin. But yet, even in that, and when we look at that account, God spoke to Adam and to his wife Eve. And as we read throughout the scriptures, God has spoke. And God still speaks today. With the help of God, I would like that we look at a very familiar account. It's found in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 6. And let's begin this evening at verse number 5, Genesis 6. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Chapter 6 of the greatest book that has ever been written records the first evidence, if you will, at least in writing, of God's grace. Even before the giving of the law. And in our classes over the past couple of days, we've tried to draw a comparison, if you will, between the law and grace. Isn't it refreshing when we consider that grace preceded the law and that a man named Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord? Probably the better part of us this evening learned of this man named Noah when we were young children, much like those precious children that graced us with their program just a few moments earlier. We further read in verse 13. And God said unto Noah that the end of all flesh is come before me and the earth is filled with violence 
through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood, and so on and so forth. As God gave the blueprint to Noah. God desires to speak to those that are willing to listen. The scriptures tell us also that Noah walked with God. It further tells us in verse 22, And thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. So did he. Have you ever wondered as to why it is, perhaps, that you are not hearing the voice of God in your life? Could it not be, perhaps, brethren, that we are not being totally submissive and obedient to the leading of God? The Scriptures tell us plainly that that in this world there are many Different voices, as it were. There is a lot of background noise in this day and age that we live with. But yet through that, God is willing and God is able to speak. Because he desires for us, for each and every one of us, regardless of age, regardless of status in life, regardless of season of life that we are in, God desires to speak to us. But the question that begs to be answered, first and foremost, are we listening? Are we truly listening? We read in in Hebrews chapter 1 of how God has worked throughout the ages. How in times past he spoke through the prophets. And in these last days speaks through the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But he spoke to Noah. You can read in other passages in the, in the Old Covenant of where audibly God spoke. We can find instances where God spoke through others. And I believe God, still in this day and age, will speak through others to convey his message and his will. Let's consider for a moment this evening the man Noah. Try to relate to him. And I know that's sometimes very difficult to do when we look at a passage of Scripture that's literally of an event thousands of years ago. Many times we have difficulty relating to what it is they're going through. And I appreciate greatly last night as we were reminded of the day and age that David found himself in. And yet, that did not prohibit him or inhibit him from communing with God 
and being able to understand in great detail of this marvelous God. But here, Noah is told by God to build a boat on dry land. says God did, excuse me, that Noah did according to all that God commanded him. Never once do we find in the scriptures that Noah questioned the directive of God. We have no indication in scripture before if Noah had ever picked up a hammer or a saw prior to this. It's insignificant. He simply obeyed the directive of God. And he built. And it appears that his sons were in support of that. And if we look at the scripture and try to work the numbers, and you look at verse 32 of chapter 5, and then further on, it appears that perhaps a hundred years may have passed. For this man of God to complete the task. And I believe that in and of itself is a sermon. 100 years of his shoulder to the plow. Doing something that was totally opposite. But the grace of God that enabled him to hear the message, also enabled him to complete the task at hand. We read in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, it makes reference of Noah, that by faith he was moved with fear to build the ark. We read in both epistles of Peter, of Noah, It says he was a preacher of righteousness. And so perhaps we would stop and look at this scenario and try to make an evaluation, as often we do, of our own lives. Have I been successful? Do I have results to show for my efforts? And on the surface, if we look at the man Noah and stop and think, 100 years, if we are in agreement with that, he spent in building this boat. And according to the scripture, during that time frame, he preached. He preached to a community that chances are ridiculed him, probably walked by, scratched their heads. So, what are you doing? This makes absolutely no sense. Is there something wrong with you, Noah? But he preached. And he hammered. And at the end of that time, when God said, Now Noah, load it up and get on board. It was only Noah his wife, his three sons, and his three daughter-in-laws. We heard a comment the other evening in one of our meetings 
in regard to one of the forums. And, and a brother said, probably rightly so, says, well, you know, the brothers that conducted the forum were preaching to the choir. Noah preached for a hundred years. And there is no evidence that one soul responded. The scriptures tell us plainly that Noah and his family alone were saved and that the rest perished. Perhaps, loved ones, the others were waiting for another ship to come in. And my friend outside of Christ, do you find yourself there tonight on this Wednesday evening saying, well, I'm just waiting for my ship to come in. Or perhaps you're saying, well, I'm at least going to wait till Friday night to stay behind and counsel. My friend, if you have a guarantee that you're even going to see Friday night, when we're done tonight, please come and share that with me. And furthermore, as you're waiting for that proverbial ship to come in, you need, at least need to be standing on the dock and not someplace else. Was Noah a success? In the eyes of the world, you know what? They probably couldn't make the judgment because they were drowning. But let's talk about another whose father was a carpenter, namely Jesus of Nazareth. Approximately 33 years, he walked the face of the earth. Three of those years in particular, preaching, teaching, healing, showing compassion and love, doing the will of the Father. And at the end of that three-year ministry, found himself hanging on a cross. People walking by, shaking their heads, making comments to the effect, he saved others, let him save himself. And then there were others that said, well, you know, if you're really who you say you are, come down from the cross, and then we will believe you. And others said, he trusted in God, that God would deliver him if God delights in him. There would be some that would look at the life of Jesus Christ and try to make an evaluation and come to the conclusion that he was a failure, 
What kind of king is this? Who of us does not have the desire to be successful? But we need to understand what true success is. Success is complete obedience to the known, revealed will of God regardless of the circumstances. Nothing more, nothing less. And in light of that definition, Noah was a success. It's almost sacrilegious to make a comment to the effect that the Lord Jesus was a success. But we look at others in Scripture that were successes. In the eyes of the world, anything but. But in the eyes of God, of the one who looked down, in the day and age of Noah, and saw nothing but evil, nothing but violence, nothing but wickedness. In his eyes. And if you look at the front of your lesson book that has our theme on it, you see an eye with a sparkle. find it interesting as we go through life half of my physical life now I have walked with the Lord I'm so thankful that that every day that goes by and and every birthday should the Lord tarry that I will celebrate Uh, it's not a celebration anymore but you know what I mean that I can say that the time spent walking with Jesus outnumbers the years that I squandered and that I wasted. But when I look at my life, and I need to say, before I say anything else, that it's with great reservation that I share with you in a forum such as this, of things that God has done in my life. But God receives the glory. God receives the praise. And perhaps if it helps, but only one soul this evening, perhaps a soul that has very much difficulty in relating to a man named Noah, who had a son named after a lunch meat, at a time and age that we cannot comprehend. If I can share with you of how God has spoke in my life. And he has done that in some truly, I believe, miraculous ways on a number of occasions. And I will not share all those times with you. But the first and foremost that comes to mind is when I was called of God. Second time, when he showed me unequivocally who my mate for life shall be. And third time, 
was less than two years ago. But even prior to that, God was working, and that's what he does in our lives. God works through circumstances. God works through his people in conjunction with his word and the indwelling of his spirit. Years previous, because a fellow believer was willing, I believe, at the prompting of the Spirit of God to very briefly and spontaneously make a comment to me that little did they know would someday alter my life radically. But I'm a slow learner sometimes. I take a lot of convincing many times. Got a lot of young people with us this week faced with some monumental choices. What am I going to do with my life? What profession should I pursue? <coughs> what about marriage? You know, how does it all fit together? How do I know? You see, I had led an occupation for many years, a job that had provided very well for my family, and I thank God for that. But there came a point in time where I was feeling as though, you know, I could never understand. I used to jokingly say, I just don't know what I want to do when I grow up. I would, you know, I would talk to other believers and see other individuals, and, and they would share with the passion that they had for the profession that they were in or the, their chosen field, whatever it was, and how they truly enjoyed it. It was fulfilling. And I used to think that was an oddity because I didn't experience that. Yet I was thankful for what I had. But I came to a point in time where it was time to maybe step out of the comfort zone, if you will. And so I went for my schooling that was required. And it wasn't like I had to go back and spend years at night school and things like that. It was relatively short. In order to become licensed in my state of Arizona. Just something to do on the side. But I should have known, even as I sat in those classrooms late at night, of how much it just seemed to come alive to me. And it was, a, it was really exciting and fun to be back in school again. So as I embarked upon this new little venture, but keeping everything else in its place, you know, you can't be foolhardy. You can't take risks. I found after a couple of years that God was blessing. 
And it got to the point where God was blessing so much that I was beginning to terribly, terribly fulfill the rest of my responsibilities. You see, I used to get up at 1 in the morning to go to work at 1.30 and come home at 10 in the morning and it was becoming more and more frequent where I would simply get home, go upstairs, jump in the showers, change the clothes, go to the office, be with clients, and so on and so forth. And somewhere in that, trying to be a husband, trying to be a daddy, being an elder of a congregation. And I must confess to you that there was a point in time where I was not doing a very good job of any of it. And then, and then, the Friday previous to Christmas in 1999, one afternoon I sat in a conference room of a, of a renewal class that I'm required to attend with approximately 35 to 40 other realtors. And a gentleman who was conducting the seminar was speaking of success, what it means to be a success. And about halfway through his presentation, he, he transitioned into a, a, a segment of his presentation. And he, he started, says, you know, every year my family goes to a family reunion. And I'm thinking, oh, I don't like those things. And I'm like, where is he going with this? And he says, you know, this last year when we went, I went through the line. And I got my fried chicken, and I got my potato salad, and I got my lemonade. And I went and I, and I sat down at the table right next to my Uncle Denny. And I looked at Uncle Denny and I said, I didn't see you here last year. Did I miss you? And his uncle said, no, I was sick last year and I couldn't make it. Oh, oh well, it's good to see you here again, Uncle Denny. Uncle Denny... Are you still working at the post office? Yeah. And I hate it. Now at this point in time, if you haven't figured it out yet, and those of you who know me, I spent 22 and a half years working for the post office. So I now find myself sitting in this classroom with 35 other professionals and I feel as though I'm the only one there. And the gentleman proceeds with the account. Well, well, Uncle Denny, if, if you hate it so much, why do you stay there? Because I have Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And as God is my witness... I can't count the number of years that I carried around my Blue Cross and Blue Shield card in my wallet. 
So the next question was, well, what are you going to do? What are your plans? He says, well, I've got five or six more years to put in, and then I'm getting out of there, and then I'll probably get my real estate license, kind of, you know, just dabble in that a little bit, and I'll probably contract a terminal disease and die. We read in the book of Numbers that God spoke through a beast of burden to an individual named Balaam that had lost his way and needed direction. Cannot God speak through a man to one of his children who was, who was floundering? Some days not knowing which end was up. In what direction to go? I could not wait for that seminar to end. And as I drove home, I'm thinking, Lord, you have spoken. Now I have to convince Linda. And I came home. I said, honey, I truly believe that God spoke to me today. And I shared with her the account. did speak to me in that day. But you see, loved ones, it takes more than God speaking to us. When he speaks to us, my friend, when he speaks to you, you have a responsibility to act upon it. I could stand here tonight and tell you, this is how God spoke to me. Yes, he did on that Friday afternoon, 1999. And it wouldn't mean a thing, loved ones, if God also, when he spoke to me, had not said, Now, Dennis, I will give you the grace to now act upon that. So a couple weeks went by. My family, we found ourselves visiting some dear friends in California. And as we walked along the seashore, this dear, dear friend of mine starts asking some probing questions. It must have just been written on me. He says, Den, how much time are you spending with the part-time job? And I said, I don't know. I don't have to punch a clock there. But it's, it's a lot sometimes. He says, Dennis, you have to make a decision. You will crash and burn if you don't. And he says, and I tell you this out of love because I almost did a few years back. He says, and I don't want to see anybody else go through that. So we talked of that during the course of the weekend and, and it was encouraging. And, and so we get back home and it's like, honey, we've got to do this. There is no mistake. We must do this. But when? When is the convenient time? And then the analytical thinking comes out. And those of you who know me, I'm notorious. 
pull out the paper, you write down the plus column, you write down the minus column, you weigh it out. And if there's a tie, you figure, well, that one's worth more, so you get what you're really looking for, right? Well, we need, then we really, you know, it's only prudent that we have X amount of money in the bank. Or, you know, this and that. And so we looked at each other and said, you know what, that day's never going to happen. Realistically, we'll never see that day. That's not a negotiable item. And then to show you, brethren, how sometimes we, we limit not only ourselves, but we limit God. And, oh, if God, and perhaps in his graciousness, he will not reveal to us how many times we're guilty of that, of limiting him. But here I'm thinking now, okay, we're in January, and I've always long held, held long to thinking, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to squeeze that system for all I can get out of it. So I pulled out my calendar, and I started looking. I said, my goodness, we've got several paid holidays coming up here. You know, let's, let's push this out. You know, we're going to get them at least for a couple of these paid holidays. And God, in his mercy, spoke to my heart, and he said, Dennis, stop thinking like that. Stop thinking like that. We have a, a beautiful account in Scripture, in, in the book of Chronicles. A young king, and maybe young ones you can relate to this somewhat, 25-year-old king, Amaziah. 2 Chronicles chapter 25. I mean, probably we're not going to be kings anywhere, and we won't be CEOs. But Amaziah, he's, he's king of, of Judah. He's faced with a problem. They want to go to war. He counts his army, and he sees what resources that he has. And he decides, you know what? The enemy is so huge. We're going to our brethren that have separated from us, and we are going to hire them as mercenaries. And so he goes down to the nation of Israel, and he hires a 100,000 mighty men of valor at a cost of 100 talents of silver, which was approximately uh, like $164,250 to go to war. And so he has it all in place. He has it all figured out. He has the money in the bank. He's got the little cushion there. Just what he needs. And it says here in verse 7, But there came a man of God to him, saying, O king, let not the army of Israel go with thee, for the Lord is not with thee. Excuse me. For the Lord is not with Israel, to wit with all the children of Ephraim. But if thou wilt go, do it. Be strong for the battle. God shall make thee fall before the enemy. For God hath power to help and to cast down. And then Amaziah says, well, wait a second. And Amaziah said to the man of God, but, 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 but what shall we do for the hundred talents which I have given to the army of Israel? A businessman's thinking. I've made this investment. I cannot walk away from it now. It's going to cost me. And the man of God answered, The Lord is able 
to give thee much more than this. Brethren, we trust in the grace and the mercy of God for his salvation. Why is it? Why is it we will not trust him for our daily bread? Why? The scriptures tell us that he is able to save us to the uttermost. And we cannot trust him for tomorrow's provision. Shame on us. Shame on us. God spoke to my heart and said, Dennis, stop thinking like that. A measly paid holiday. So I went to, my Linda, to Linda and said, Honey, I am giving my two-week notice tomorrow. And God bless her. It took a lot of grace. I said, Honey, if that's what you believe God is telling us to do, then that's what you have to do. Can I share with you what happened? to that holiday that I didn't get paid for. And I give God the praise. And I give God all the glory for it. Because I didn't do anything. I was just simply showed up at the dock, as it were. That Monday, I received a call from some people that I had never met before. So Dennis... We need some information about some land you have listed for sale. And I told them briefly, it didn't work for them. I said, but I'd be happy to, if you would like, to try to locate what you're looking for. And they said, well, that, you know, that'd be great if you could do that. It wasn't too hard. You know... <laughs> We make things so difficult on ourselves sometimes. God's hand in this was so much. These people told me, this is what we need. It needs to be this big. It needs to be in this location. And so on and so forth. About four parameters. And so as I sat at the computer and I pull up everything in the entire county of Maricopa, based on these parameters, there was only one property for sale. It's a no-brainer. And so I called these folks up and I said, I found one property for you. That's all that's there that meets your criteria. Den, where is it? We'd like to drive by it. Give them the address. And about two hours later, I receive a phone call. Dennis, we drove by the property. Can you come by our home, please? We want to write an offer on that property. Be very happy to do that. Long story short, I won't bore you with the details. That transaction turned into a domino effect that took about probably what was a couple hundred dollars of paid holiday into over a half a million dollars worth of transactions. Because God is able. Young people outside of Christ, God is able to show you where to go to school. God is able to show you who that special person should be in your life. He is more than able. I appreciate at the conclusion of the forum today 
when there was some discussion about colleges and, and so on. Jesus Christ said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all else shall be added. That is not a one-time experience, young people. In everything, in everything, seek God and his kingdom, and he will provide beyond your wildest expectations. And brothers and sisters, let us not be guilty of limiting the grace of God in our lives. It's all sufficient. It's more than we can describe. But it's incumbent upon us to simply show up and be there and be as a servant of old who said, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth.